This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Hi, Calvary. Uh, As John Boyle said, my name is Jake Bauer, and I work at the Boulder Campus and Middle School Ministry. It's really cool to be here with you guys online. Uh, I know I haven't met a ton of you, but I'm so excited to be able to share God's Word with you this week. Um, Before I even do that, I thought I would tell you guys a little bit of my own story and how I got to Calvary Boulder in particular. Uh, I moved here from Gainesville, Florida when I was in sixth grade. And in my first week of coming into Calvary Boulder, I went upstairs as a new sixth grader and connected with uh, some of the leaders in the middle school ministry up there. And immediately, I mean, the first morning I was here, felt at home, which was so good. And that's the beginning of my experience at Calvary Youth Ministry, which just began to develop my faith. And as I went through high school and middle school, I got connected to more and more leaders, more and more friends, the youth pastors here. And it was truly, I would say, the experience that formed who I am today as a Christian. And so now that I'm actually back here in the middle school ministry, it's awesome to be contributing in the area that changed my own life when I was in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And funny enough, I uh, went through high school and my plan was not to go into ministry. And so I went to Monarch High School here in Louisville, Colorado, and my plan was just to go into business to potentially open up a coffee shop because I, like many of you out there, really enjoy coffee and we just don't have enough coffee shops. So my, uh, my plan was to go to Bozeman, Montana and to major in business there through my whole senior year. And I had been volunteering in the middle school ministry up to this point, and I loved it. And it was something that connected with me, and I realized I had some gifts in the ministry area that were able to be used when I was in middle school ministry. But my plan was never actually to full-time work in ministry. And towards the end of my senior year, I have this plan to go to Bozeman still and to get a business degree. And I woke up one morning, I mean, seriously, like overnight, and felt that I had nothing to do except to go into ministry. I, God just changed my heart. And I realized that church ministry is actually where I want to be full time. That's what, what I want to do and where I feel called and where I feel like I belong. Um, and just God changed my heart for it. And I began to connect as soon as that changed in my heart. And I started to, or I continued doing middle school ministry. I just realized more and more, man, this is where I feel gifted and where I feel like I can uh, help help the church and help these people. So that, that was when my heart changed, but my plan was still to go to Bozeman until the last week when I was a week away from moving to Bozeman, Montana to go into business school. And I met with Pastor Tom just to talk to him about the call to ministry that I've been experiencing. And I asked him, hey, what, what would you do if you're in my position where you feel like you're supposed to go into full-time ministry? I'm going into a business degree, which will be helpful for me in the church still, I'm sure. And then I'm planning on going to seminary. But what do you think about this call? And Tom said to me, well, it sounds like you're going to go through four years of school at Bozeman and rack up a lot of debt. And then you're going to need to go to seminary, which will rack up more debt. And then you're probably going to go into a church ministry job, which will not be very helpful to pay off that debt. And so he just gave me that advice, probably a little bit more kindly than I just relate it to you guys. And I chewed on that for the next week and prayed through it and thought really hard about it and realized, man, this might not be the best call for me 
And just three days before I was supposed to go to Bozeman, made the call to take a gap semester and turned to the church in Charlotte. And then after four years of Moody Bible Institute recommended to me by Tom as well, Calvary reached out to me and I reached out to them and got a position here in the middle school ministry. So it's been awesome to be back here with you guys this year. And uh, I, I just can't wait to share uh, the, from the word of God with you this morning. So if you have your Bible with you or your journal, you can open up to James chapter five. We've been going through the book of James for the last several months. And James chapter five has our final conclusionary verses for us this uh, this afternoon, whatever time it is that you're listening. So James chapter five, verses 13 through 20. And we've learned so much in the book of James through this series. I've connected with asking the Lord for wisdom from the book of James. We've learned how to suffer through trials. We've learned how to use our tongues and how not to use our tongues. And now James is finishing with this conclusion focused on prayer in the Christian life. He's just finished talking about suffering and again, patience in suffering in particular, and he connects it to prayer and how prayer is what we seek in suffering and in all circumstances of our lives as well. And I think it's amazing that James finishes with prayer, which is one of the most fundamental parts of what it means to be a Christian. I'm actually gonna read for you a quote really fast by Martin Lloyd-Jones. It says this, prayer is beyond any question, the highest activity of the human soul. Therefore, it is at the same time the ultimate test of a man's true spiritual condition. There's nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. God knows it is much easier to preach like this from a pulpit than it is to pray. A man discovers the real condition of his spiritual life when he examines himself in prayer, when he's alone with God. I read that quote and immediately feel kind of some conviction, concern, like, man, is my prayer life what it should be? It's the ultimate test of a man's spiritual condition. But Martin Lloyd-Jones says two things in that quote that are important for us this morning that James will touch on as well. One is that prayer is essential. It's essential to the Christian life. That as a Christian, it means that we are prayers and that prayer is part of our lives that matters greatly. The second thing he touches on is that it's incredibly difficult that it's easier to preach than it is to pray for so many people. That prayer is both essential to us and very, very difficult. There's many reasons why it's difficult. One is that we're just so distracted. How often do you have natural times in your life where you're in absolute silence and focus? That's what prayer requires of us, is total silence and total focus on the Lord. So we learn that it's essential and that it's very, very difficult. And James today is going to tell us that Christian people are praying people. Christian people are praying people. And he's gonna tell us when should we pray as Christians and why should we pray. And I hope by the end of today, you can walk away believing in prayer and feeling like you are empowered to do it on your own in your life. So let's get into the text. James 5, verse 13. It starts like this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. James is telling us that Christian people are praying people. And his first point is he answers the question, when should Christian people pray? And his answer is at all times. His first response is, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So Christians should pray in response to the suffering we experience in our lives. 
This one probably comes a little bit more naturally to the average person in the church. I'm gonna call these crisis prayers, where you're going through something terrible in your life and you find yourself on your knees a lot more than you probably do normally. Where something goes wrong and what's your first response is to seek God. And we've had a lot go wrong in the last couple of years and you might've found yourself in more of a prayerful state than you normally are. And so crisis prayers often comes very naturally to us and our first response to our suffering can often be prayer. But I don't think that James here is just getting at great amounts of crises and great amounts of suffering that we should pray through. We should pray through the great crises in our lives, but he's also using a word here that I think refers to a vast array of suffering we might experience in our lives. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. And what he's really referring to is anything in our lives that causes us pain, suffering, anguish, or grief. Tim Keller has a line in one of his sermons that he says, let every sigh become a prayer. Let every sigh become a prayer. That means if something in your life is causing you to just go, if it's causing you to sigh and causing you any pain or grief or turmoil, bring it to the God in prayer. This means if we're praying through our crisis and through every sigh of our lives, then we should pray when we lose our car keys or when we lose a loved one. We should pray when we're incredibly ill or when we're just stuck in traffic and it's a bad morning. We should pray when we're grumpy or when we're depressed and in grief and in serious loss. That's what James's first point is, is that our prayer when we suffer should be focusing on all varieties of sufferings in our lives. And he's telling us that prayer is for all times of our lives, which includes the suffering we experience. And then he moves on to cheerful. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. I recently was talking to a volunteer for the middle school ministry. And one of the questions we ask in our volunteer training is how in your own life can you seek to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength more? And her response to me was, well, I think in my life, I, I have a tendency to pray when I suffer, but I could easily show more verbal gratitude to the Lord in my life. I could love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and strength by just showing him better verbal gratitude in my life. That resonated with me personally, and it might resonate with you as well, that a lot of the times, again, we pray when we're in crisis or we have foxhole prayers where things are going really poor and we seek the Lord, but we also have moments, or James is also telling us, that we should be focusing on seeking the Lord even in our cheer, even when our lives are going really, really well. I had a recent instance where I was looking to pay off my school loans, funny enough, and was it was not in a situation where it was a super big deal, but I was praying to the Lord and asking, Lord, I, I pray that you provide for me so that I could pay off my school loans quickly and adequately so that I could think about other things as well. And a week later, I got an unexpected reimbursement check in the mail from the government for something for school. And it was amazing. I, I got the check and was like, man, this is great. I totally needed this. But my first response was not to praise the Lord for it or to give him cheer. It was just to receive the check, cash it, and be excited about it, and just forget that I even prayed asking for that even a week earlier. And how often is this our responses to the cheer in our lives? Is that we take it for granted that our lives are good or that we receive good things. That we feel almost like life should be good. And our response to cheer and to good things in our lives is not actually to bring us to our knees and to praise the Lord, but it's to just 
exult and be thankful for the things themselves. James is telling us that uh, whatever circumstances we're in in our lives, whether we're suffering or whether we're cheerful, we should seek the Lord in those circumstances. And he's getting at more than anything an attitude of prayer, that as Christians, we, we are of those who have an attitude that seeks the Lord in prayer at all times. Finally, he gives us one more example. He says this in verse 14, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. James has given us a couple of instances to pray through, and, and his answer is, when should we pray at all times? And then he brings it to the physical instances of our lives, that we should also seek the Lord and pray to him in our physical context. Sickness meant something a little different in the first century than it means for us. A lot of the time, if we have a headache, you know, we say that we're feeling sick, or if we have a sore throat or a cough, we're saying that we feel sick. But sickness in the first century did not just mean something simple or something that will go away in a couple days. It meant that you were most likely on your deathbed or that there was something severe going on in your life, some severe illness, which is why all the sickness you see in the New Testament is something really critical or intense. And that's why healing was such a big deal for Jesus and the other apostles. And what James is telling us then is that we should seek the Lord and come to the elders of the church in severe illness and severe sickness. Not that he's mandating every time you have a headache, you have to go and seek the elders and seek anointing with the oil. But what's important here is that he's giving us an example of when you have severe illness in your life, you also should come to the Lord and seek him in that physical illness as well as the spiritual things that God actually wants us to bring our physical lives before him, which again, isn't maybe our natural response most of the time. Most of the time we're seeking medical professionals and advice, which is good, we should do that. But are we actually seeking the Lord in our physical illnesses and physical sicknesses as well? We might find this passage a little bit strange initially when it says, let him call for the elders of the church and anoint him with oil. But something that this means for Calvary is that every single week, we have connect cards and you have one online that allows you to submit prayer requests to the church. And the way that those prayer requests work is that when you submit them, they go to the staff and to the elders. So every single week, the things that you submit to Calvary get prayed for by elders and by the staff. So if you have someone sick amongst your own life, or maybe you yourself are sick and you're in a situation where you could use prayer, we want to receive those things on prayer request forms. It's actually a bummer when a week comes by and there's not many prayer requests because we're like, man, there's a lot of people out there who probably have things going that they could use prayer for. And so the question is, will you submit one on the prayer request form and allow us to pray for you? And the elders have a practice as well where if someone is severely ill or sick, they will actually come visit your house and pray for you and anoint you with oil as well. The oil doesn't have any healing practices or healing purposes, just like it wouldn't in this passage with James. The emphasis is on the prayer that heals, not on the oil. But the oil is a soothing practice that allows for us to have a physical manifestation of the Lord's presence. It's basically saying like the Lord is with you and he's protecting you in a physical way. And so James tells us, when should we pray as Christians? We should pray at all times. We should pray at all times. And again, remember, his big idea here is that Christian people are praying people. But sometimes a question we skip over when we talk about prayer in the church is why 
are we praying people? Why is prayer important? What is the point of prayer? James is going to tell us in the next couple of verses. He says this, verse 15, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Why do Christians pray? We pray because we believe prayer is powerful. We believe prayer is powerful. James tells us that in response to the prayers for the sick person, God will heal them. In other words, God actually has physical power that can respond to the prayers that we ask. When we pray to him, we can expect that he is able to answer our prayers and will answer our prayers. He's a powerful God. He's the creator of the entire world. And so he's capable of answering the prayers you have for him. You've probably experienced some answers to your prayers in your life. If you can think of some of those instances right now, think of them, how God is powerful enough where he can actually change the physical circumstances in our life for our good. And a lot of us, maybe when we read this passage, feel the disappointment of what we felt in our lives where we go, man, but I've prayed to the Lord and haven't received the answer I wanted. Or I've prayed and haven't felt like he's actually answered me in the way that I expected him to answer. James isn't giving us a promise that God will always answer our prayers in the exact way that we want them to be answered. But what he is telling us is that it should be normal in our expectation that God will answer our prayers the way we hope that they will be answered. That we pray to a God who we can expect him to be powerful enough to answer our prayers and that he is confident enough to love us and answer them in the ways that we want. So that's what we expect of God but we're never entitled to the answers that we might be hoping for. A certain commentator says it this way, The faith exercised in prayer is faith in the God who sovereignly accomplishes his will. When we pray, our faith recognizes the overruling providential purposes of God. A prayer for healing, then, must usually be qualified by a recognition that God's will in the matter is supreme. So when we're praying in faith, when we're coming to the Lord in faithful prayer, we're also acknowledging, Lord, not my will, but yours. You can think of maybe Gethsemane when Jesus is approaching the cross and he prays to the Lord, Lord, please take this cup of wrath away from me. And who is a more faithful prayer than Jesus himself? No one, right? And yet at the same time, God's response to him is no. You, should, you will suffer this cup and you will suffer this wrath. And my answer is no. So we can know that we have an expectation that God can and will answer our prayers. And yet at the same time, his will is supreme over our own in our prayer lives. But again, James's point here, his second point is, why do we pray? We believe that prayer is powerful. He tells us that it can bring physical healing in our lives. And then he moves into spiritual healing. That prayer is capable of physically changing our lives and physically healing us, and it's actually capable of spiritually healing us as well. Look back at verse 15 again. And if he has committed sins, this is the second half of verse 15. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. It will physically save him. And then if he has committed sins and he brings it before the Lord in prayer, he will actually be forgiven as well. So prayer has a spiritual element to it where if we bring our sins before the Lord in, forgive, in repentance, he will heal us from our sins and forgive us. And what he says here is he connects it immediately to confession. Look at verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. 
So he tells us that God will forgive our sins. Therefore, we should confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. I have a group that meets every week and we talk through our sin with one another and pray for each other and apply the gospel to each other's lives. And the reason we do this isn't because we don't recognize that God has already forgiven us in Christ when we first believed in him. We recognize that in this church, that God for once and all forgives us for our sin and that we don't have to confess every time to receive that forgiveness again. But there's actually a healing that happens to us when we bring our sin openly before God and openly before each other. That we confess our sins and it can provide healing from the wounds that our sins have caused in our lives and it enables us in our sanctification to move away from our sin as well. James is saying to us that prayer and confession can cause healing in our lives in ways that are completely profound. And I've experienced this in the group that I've been in. It's made me realize, first of all, how apathetic I am toward my sin. When you get into a sin that's about, or when you get into a group that's about confessing sins and you feel like you have nothing to say one week, that's probably a little bit concerning, right? You're like, oh man, I know I sinned this last week, but I must just not have cared enough to remember it. It enables me to realize how apathetic I am toward my sin and it enables me to realize how forgiven I am for all of my sins because those around me encourage me and remind me, you no longer have to walk in the shame of your sin, but actually Christ heals you and I pray for you and he forgives you. So James tells us that prayer is powerful enough to physically heal us and to spiritually heal us as well from our sins. And then in verses 19 through 20, skipping down a little bit, he also tells us that communities that both can confess and pray to one another can also actually call each other back to the truth as well. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So James tells us that prayer can bring us physical healing and spiritual healing and that a community that's praying for one another and praying for healing will also actually call each other back to the truth. You might know a lot of people in the last couple of years who have walked away from Jesus and maybe even walked away from the faith. And you've seen them walk away from the church and they've pro they might have been enticed by the world where they've seen sin and it's been found freshly appealing to them and they followed that instead of Jesus. Or maybe they just have stopped believing that what the gospel says is true and what scripture says is true. These are painful things to think about. We can all think of those faces in our lives, men who we just wish would come back into the fold. James is saying to us that prayer itself and us even just calling each other back into community can actually transform people's lives and save them from their sins. So if you think of those people in your life, maybe you have a person or two who you just need to invite out to coffee and say, hey, Jesus's door is still open for you. And you've walked away, but you can come back and there is restoration for you. And I can pray for you right now and you will be forgiven. James tells us that prayer is powerful, that we should pray at all times and that prayer is powerful. And his big point is that Christian people are praying people. And he finishes with an illustration that shows us the actual power of prayer from scripture. Verse 17 says this, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So Elijah is a story about an Old Testament prophet in 1 Kings, 
I just forgot which chapter it's in. First Kings 17. And uh, Elijah comes in and he prays to the Lord during this reign of King Ahab. And Ahab is a terrible king. He's doing so much injustice and he's causing Israel to sin and sin more and more. And his wife is a terrible wife as well. And she's causing Israel to sin more and more. And they're just accumulating wealth for themselves and they're greedy rulers. And Elijah comes in as a righteous prophet and he prays that it won't rain so that Ahab might turn back to God and away from his sin. And there's two points that James makes in referencing this story, because sometimes this wouldn't necessarily be the first story I would think of, of great prayers in the Bible when I look at the Old Testament. And yet James references this story. He makes two points. One point is the power of the prayer that Elijah prays. Think about that. Elijah prays for the rain to stop and it stops. He prays for the rain to start and it starts. That's a crazy thing when you really think about it. If you, if you could imagine someone praying for weather to change and it changes like that, you would be like, man, that is super powerful. Prayer can do anything. And that's one of the points that James is making here is that prayer can literally change the weather. If it can do that, how much more can it do in our own lives? But the second point he's making is one that we also would not expect him to make when it comes to talking about a prophet in the Old Testament. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Sometimes when we read a passage in the Bible that sounds crazy to us, we tend to distance ourselves from the characters in the Bible. And we kind of superheroize them. Where we read about Elijah and we go, man, that's crazy that he prayed for rain to stop. That would never happen today. James is making the exact opposite point here. He's saying, actually, Elijah is just like us. He's just like us. He has a powerful prayer, and yet he's a man with a nature like ours. The unique thing about him is not who he is, but it's the God he serves. It's the prayer he prays is what's powerful, not his nature as a person. So this should encourage you because what James is telling us is that your prayer is as powerful as Elijah's prayer. That Elijah himself was not a unique man, but we can look at his example and say, my prayer is as capable of changing the world as Elijah's was in the Old Testament. And the question is, what makes prayer powerful then? What makes prayer powerful? If it's not us, what is the actual power behind prayer? And why can we as Christian people be praying people in confidence of the power of prayer? The answer to that question is that the God who we pray to is what makes prayer powerful. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are brought to God in peace through Jesus. When we look at Jesus in faith, God completely restores us to himself and we turn from our sins and God has a relationship with us that is right again. And what happens then is that we have total access to God's ear. He listens to our prayers constantly and always, and he delights to hear what we have to say to him. And this makes our prayers powerful because we pray to a God who is capable of answering our prayers and who actually enjoys listening to us. We pray to him who's a creator, who created the entire world, and he's capable of changing the weather. He's, he's capable of all the power in the entire world. But what Jesus does for us is he makes him not only our creator, but also our father. Last week, I got a text from my dad saying, hey, I just bought you two Bob Dylan tickets because I know you love Bob Dylan and you wouldn't buy them for yourself. So you can go to that Bob Dylan concert and bring someone else with you. 
just randomly. He just texted me and said, hey, I bought you these tickets because I love you. My earthly father loves giving me gifts and loves responding to my requests. And he's an imperfect man, like all of our earthly fathers. But what James is saying here, and what the entire scriptures teach us, is that God is our father, but he's a perfect father. And he relates to us in, in the same manner as an earthly father loves their child. God loves us. God loves giving us good gifts. And he is capable of giving us all that we ask for. And yet at the same time, he delights in listening to us and in answering our prayers. What father on earth would ignore the cry of their child in the middle of the night? None. And we have a perfect father who is compassionate toward us and wants to hear our prayers and wants to answer them. So we can believe in the power of prayer because God is the creator and he is our father. And Christian people are praying people. That's James's final statement to us is that Christian people are praying people. And I hope you walk away today feeling excited about prayer because you have a God who's capable of answering your prayers and who also delights to listen to you. So we know that we have a powerful God who can answer us and a compassionate Father who listens to us with delight. I'm going to pray for us this week and then I'll let you go. Lord, I just pray that everyone uh, listening today would be able to connect with what you say about prayer. I just pray that we would all seek you fervently in our lives, relying upon you, knowing and trusting that you're capable of answering our prayers, and also uh, believing that you are a father who loves to listen to us. Pray that for every single individual who hears this today, Lord. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen.